My first poem today was published in Tucumcari Literary Review in June of 1993. Although it was originally written when I was in college at the University of Dallas in the 1970s. At the Dallas Seminary, the Texas wind is silent in the space where honeysuckle mutes the classic grace of white steps climbing through its red perfume. The weedless lawns and seminarians' rooms peeled like rinds by three o'clock's sharp shade. September sun at summer's centigrade. All is calm and still. At four, the wind whips up again in shrill contempt for wasting time on idle views, and scrub oak leaves drift in with dreary news. But the impeccable grass is green and blue burns in the sky. My soul turns handsprings before the rector's eyes. Like students on the steps, we're marking time till we dance in our green visions as we climb. The word for today is idle, I-D-Y-L-L, which I used in two of the lines of my first poem. At four, the wind whips up again in shrill contempt for wasting time on idle views, which when it's read sounds a lot like I-D-L-E, meaning wasted time. And I actually intended for that echo to be in there but the word that I used was actually idle, I-D-Y-L-L. This is an extremely happy, peaceful, or picturesque episode or scene, typically an idealized or unsustainable one, or a short description in verse or prose of a picturesque scene or incident, especially in rustic life. An idol is a short period in which everything is wonderful. You could say a cruise you took with your family was an idol in an otherwise difficult year. In its more formal sense, idol describes a pastoral interlude or a poem set in nature, an idealized or idyllic version of nature where you are drinking champagne under the apple trees and no one has stepped in cow manure or walked through poison ivy. The letters I'm reading today were the first love letters that Wes and I wrote to each other after we were married. We had boxes of letters we'd written when he was at Harvard and I was in Texas, but we hadn't written any love letters to each other since we got married. Dear Wes, I had trouble identifying one single symptom that was bothering me the most, but two seemed to be just aspects of the same problem. Lack of communication on important things and quarreling, because we usually quarrel about trivial things. Those things sometimes make me feel really far away from you, or like I'm trying to talk to you on the phone with a lot of loud static. It also makes me feel guilty because I think I'm usually at fault, either for picking a fight or getting irritated at things I used to like, like you're knowing about everything. 
or for getting so involved in my own projects and interests without seeing or caring about yours, even though I know they mean just as much to you as mine do to me. But I also feel upset because I think sometimes I use trivial things to keep my mind off important things. It's easy to talk about what I did in the garden or what the girls said than to tell you about some underlying worry that has been building up for some time. And the longer I wait, the harder it is to say anything. Sometimes when we are talking or arguing, I know exactly the sentence I want to say that will tell you what my real problem is, and it will go over and over in my mind. But I'll feel like there is some magical force that keeps me from saying it, because I'll imagine that you'll get angry or ridicule what I was thinking or feeling or belittle it. That's what happening those times when I just sit grumpily without saying anything or when we're in bed and you think I've fallen asleep. Of course, if I lie there too long, I sometimes do fall asleep too. Sometimes I get worried because I seem to find more and more things that upset me so much that I feel I can't or shouldn't talk with you about them. More things that I find hard to tell you about. It took me a while even to tell you about the problems my cousin was having, and I was very confused as to why I didn't feel like discussing it with you, maybe because I was afraid you'd be very offhand and not see that it really bothered me. Love, Vicki. Wes wrote, Dear Vicki, as they talked about the love letter, I was just thinking of the first one I wrote to you in the front of your yearbook. It's so hard to believe that it's coming up on 12 years since I wrote that. Anyway, I guess my strongest feelings are about symptom number 14, taking each other for granted. It certainly works both ways. Sometimes I feel angry or embarrassed in front of others or frustrated because I feel that you are taking many of the things I do for granted. Other times I feel ashamed or guilty because I realize that I am taking so much of what you do for granted, especially in terms of taking care of the kids. I guess I have you either way because you know how embarrassed I get if you start complimenting and thanking me for various little things. Don't thank me, just don't say I never do anything for you, etc., etc. Since this is by way of a love letter, though, I wanted to say that one of the many things I love about you is that you still are attentive to the little things, knowing sometimes just what to do to cheer me up, getting me my breakfast or a soda or something like that. I try to do the same to show my love for you. I know that I fail lots of times, but I really do like to do small things that show that I'm thinking of you and that I love you. I want you always to know that I do love you and always will. I know that you're often insecure and worry that you're unlovable or that I'll stop loving you. If there's one thing that we get out of this weekend, I would like it to be that we each recognize our great love we have for each other. I know that I'm not always as demonstrative, at least in public, as you'd like me to be but I do try to show you in the little ways that I love you. Always, Wes. 
Today's final poem was published in the journal Hobnob in 1994, but I had actually written it soon after the love letters that I just read. A little later in the year, it was probably fall. Wes and I would visit his mother in Concord, Massachusetts, of the famous Lexington and Concord, and we would often go for walks. It was a very rural area. And so this was an idyllic description of a scene on one of our walks. We had discovered earlier that they actually were still hunting in that part of Massachusetts. And we'd seen a hunt go by on one of our walks. I don't know if they were hunting actual foxes or not, but it looked very much like an English hunt. So this is the poem called New England Echoes. A white barn once broke in upon a conquered road. Scattering houses and lawns, it stood on a rolling knoll plated with brown and green and gold. An empty stable with ghosts from the hunt, riding to horn over silent fields, drifting into groups of trees that rise like puffs of gray-veined smoke and outride the fox and the crimson coats beyond the distant white of jumps. May you have many idyllic times in the seasons to come.